0: Welcome to PeopleTech, the podcast of the HCM Technology Report. I'm Mark Pfeffer. In its seven years, the startup Junco developed a hiring platform focused on DEI, employed dozens of people, and raised a total of $38 million. And now, it's gone. A couple of weeks ago, The board of directors said the company's results had been manufactured, and much of what the founder and CEO had told them had no basis in reality. Today, I'm joined by William Tinkup, the president and editor-at-large of Recruiting Daily. We're going to put Junco's collapse into perspective, look at DEI efforts in general, and talk about what investors are thinking today, all on this edition of PeopleTech. William, it's nice to see you. It's
1: nice to see you as well, Mark.
0: So Junko, um, recruiting platform uh, f- focused on DEI, okay. um, raised $38 million and looks pretty much to have closed because the CEO seems to have been not telling the truth to the board. Right. Um, and right. it all seems to happen also very quickly. So what were your observations?
1: You know, um, a couple i things. I'm, I'm shocked that this doesn't happen more often. You know, because money is so plentiful and in and the, and, and the place that we, that we work in, let's say recruiting technology in, in some cases, it's so hot that I can see where people get caught up. Not quite the dot-com era, like, you know, you go to a coffee meeting, someone then says, okay, we'll put $7 million into your company, subtype type stuff, but pretty close. Like the, I can see where people don't do their due diligence, as much because they f- for the fear of missing out, so I'm um, I'm shocked. On on one level, I'm shocked that this that we don't hear about this more often. That's the first thing that I would tell you. The second thing is there there is an irony of this being the second that we know of the second where this has happened to a company that focused on DEI. You know there was that whole Untapped Canvas, um, whatever their name is now, where they got into trouble not about finances as much as the optics of a lot of well-intentioned of white folks that were trying to fix DEI. So theirs was a different problem, but the result was kind of same type of um, kind of kind of cataclysmic kind of event. They didn't lose funding and didn't go under, per se, but they did take a real real hit because their momentum at the time was really, really good. And all of a sudden that happened. And again, that was more of an optics, not a finance thing. With Junco, uh, I met her, I met the the founder that that's that's talked about. I met her at Unleash, did a briefing with her, did a podcast with her, and just talked the world over. I thought she was really, really sweet. She had her baby with her like little, a newborn, she had her newborn with her and, uh, in one of those little things that you carry and just like, I thought she was just really trying to fix things. So like, I, I could see where people could get like fall in love with a person, fall in love with a solution. And then, you know, maybe the, maybe it wasn't doing all everything it was supposed to. I've, I was Telling you this last week, I I read a lot of with this one in particular. I won't read the American news as much as the Israeli news to then find out like what's what's really going on because they're based in, in Tel Aviv, and so uh, it's it's pretty harsh. I mean the the things that have been levied against them, all the executives have quit, as I understand it. Um, most of the employees have quit, and it's they're turning out the lights. Like, this isn't a, hey, we had some indiscretions or didn't do a, a great job of auditing. Like, that's what I thought it was at first. When I first read it, I thought, okay, so the board wanted her to do better job of internal, you know, you know, monitoring and this, that, and the other. Like, okay, well, you know what? That's, that's true of a lot of startups. They get into a certain place. Their accounting hasn't evolved, you know, to at the same pace of maybe their product or sales and marketing. And the board wants to make sure that they're doing the best by the by the shareholders and they wanted to be physically conservative, uh, responsible, et cetera. And I thought she just wasn't taking their advice. Like, okay, well, you know, that happens <laughs> with entrepreneurs. They're wild cards. That happens. They, you know, I deal with entrepreneurs every day. Yes, yeah, sometimes they take your advice. Sometimes they don't. But this one seems, now that I've poked around it a, a, a bit more, this seems a, a little bit, deeper than just an entrepreneur not wanting to take advice.
0: Is this part of any kind of trend in the startup world, or is this kind of a one-off?
1: It's a one-off because, uh, well, it's a one-off for me because this, again, is a great example for everyone that's interested in, in work tech or HR tech, or whatever, is as kind of a cautionary tale. So, if you're in a rush to fund somebody, you don't want to be like this. You don't want to be like Junco. Like Junco is now going to be the like a q tip of, of our industry and say, well, listen, you don't want to be that. You don't want to be in that rush. Yes, you want to get a term sheet. Yes, you want to fund them. Yes, you believe in a product, but you don't want to be in so much of a rush that you don't do your due diligence. That's audited financials. You know, it's all kinds of things to make sure that you're putting that much money into a company. You just got to make sure that you, you expect that there's some things that an entrepreneur has done throughout their, the time, the tenure. That's not perfect because that's not their bit Unless they came up through finance, which most of them don't, they're not, the financial house isn't, all, isn't in order. But there's things that are like, like I deal with this, uh, this lawyer who's on one of the funds I'm involved with, and all he does is undo what founders do. Like his whole bit, he lives in the, the Caribbean and he's used to, okay, it's a Canadian company. They've got an S Corp in Delaware. We need to make it into a C Corp because S Corp has this type of tax implications. All right, we need to do this. Like he knows how to basically take all the mistakes that they've made and then triage those into and then to make the books be a certain way so that the next funders can come in and go, oh yeah, the books look straight. So I think, I think they'll be used as a cautionary tale. I don't think it's like we're going to pop up and go, by the time we get to HR tech, it's like, oh, here's 12 more junco's. I think this was a really a one-off deal, but I think it'll be used in a positive way of, hey, don't be in a rush. Don't be in a rush and make mistakes along the way in terms of due diligence. And not a bad thing for practitioners either, for them to understand things like this.
0: Yeah, well, the, the investors said that they, they did serious due diligence um, <laughs> before their, I guess, Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like everything you're saying makes perfect sense. But then here they say, well, we did the due diligence. How could they do the due diligence and, and not
1: find some of this stuff? That's right. So either you did and you're incompetent or you didn't. Right, you can't have it both ways. If you if you're going to say we did the due diligence, then it's like, well, then why didn't you find these things if you did the due diligence? Somebody needs to be fired, or probably the better the probably what really happened is they trusted the due due diligence that was already there, yeah, and they didn't do their own. They basically said, "Yep, we trust that." And uh, what was it, Reagan that said, "Trust but verify"? I can't remember mm-hmm. who said that. Yeah, yeah. so. The verify part on, on that is the most important for funding uh, uh, people is just you got to you got to make sure you can't you can't leave it to chance. It's not your money. That's the thing. When you're on the private equity or even the VC side of things, it's not your money. You're using other people's money. So you're you're the steward of this other group of people's money. So skipping due diligence, I mean, I think the more due diligence, the more arduous the due diligence, the better, so that you know what you're getting yourself into, good, bad, and ugly. Okay, we have so much technical debt. All right. Well, if I know it, okay, I can deal with it. We have these liabilities. We have this line of credit. We have, you know, our employee contracts, our employee agreements aren't all signed and up to date. Our customers are only paying month to month. Like, I can deal with it if I know it. If I don't know it, I can't deal with it. And so I think that this hopefully will be a, uh, a reminder to all the investor community and the entrepreneur community, community to just make sure they have their houses in order. And as an entrepreneur, you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't be scared about due diligence. You know, due diligence, is like taking your car to the mechanic you know what i'm saying like you, you, you clean your car you take care of your you make sure you got oil and tires and you know air in your tires all that stuff but at the end of the day you take it to the mechanic and they're going to plug it into a computer and tell you what's what's going on with your car Sa- same is true of funding agents when they fund they're going to find things that's their job <laughs> to find those things and in this in the case of junco they should have done a better job of finding these things To win an exclusive merchandise package from evergreen podcasts, head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show.
0: What did you think of their idea? I mean, what sort of stood out to you as being the thing that set them apart?
1: Well, I don't, I don't, I didn't get a set them apart uh, out of the technology. So um I used to say me too technology. You can't say that anymore, but you know, anyhow, it was a like technology that is not unlike probably 20 others in the marketplace. If we were to go to G2 right now or trust radius or whatever, and look at the DEI software, there'd be 80 different software links. How different are they? Nothing stuck. Nothing stuck. What I liked in both conversation, people can go back and listen to the podcast. I'm not going to take it down just because of what happened to him. Um, what I liked was the entrepreneur. Ironic, as it may as it may seem, as it is as we look through the lens of today. Her, I was betting on her. If I were making an investment after due diligence, I'd be investing in her, not the, not the product as it was.
0: Do you think there's folks out there who will sort of jump into the space that Junco's left or were they really just one of a number of companies doing this?
1: I think, I think, you know, it was, you know, again, a lot of things led up to this. Me too. Love is love. Black lives matter. George Ford getting killed right in front of us. DEI was the hottest thing. You know, there's a lot of positions on corporate that were made. There's a lot of budgets being spent, a lot of software being, uh, being sold. The difficulty now is there's not as much energy. I don't know if you felt the same thing in some of the conversations you've had. No one's going to say that they're against DEI. That's like saying you're against, you know, handicapped people or, you know, the elderly or some shit like, you know, I I hate children. You know, most people aren't going to say that. No one's gonna come out and say, I think DEI is just dumb and why do we spend money on it? I just don't think it's gonna get the funding. That's my personal take is that DEI is gonna down is on the downward slope of getting funding. And I think you're gonna see people getting defunded, meaning people that were had those positions in companies. And I think that the software, so I think that anybody rushing into that market you better have an alternative strategy on how um, not to just sell into a DEI officer, maybe sell into a, a, a CFO with a technology that shows DEI and how customers respond to it. Like you're gonna have to show something different other than it's a good idea. Like everyone will agree, yeah, we should be more diverse. Because our customers are more diverse. It makes us closer to our customers. Like this, okay, like this is just common sense. Problem is, like you and I would just be plodding along going, yes, this is common sense. And then you look at the Supreme Court's case last week, striking down parts of affirmative action, the parts specifically related to uh, universities and admissions. Okay, if we don't think that that's coming to a, a theater near us and work, we're crazy. That's that's already in the state courts. That's already in the appellate courts. That's already going to happen. It's going to happen. They're going to strike it down at work as well. So now those that want to do the right thing are going to find it even more difficult to make a business case to do the right thing. So I don't think there's going to be a, a rush into Junco's vacancy. If I were creating a business right now I don't know if I'd target DEI as much as I would target the financial reason for DEI. You know what I'm saying? Like I wouldn't, parsing whether or not you have X number of LGBT, X number of African-American women, this age, this, that, and the other, I'd throw all that shit out the window. If I were building a company, I would build it based on customer demographics. And how can we get more out of customer demographics based on our own demographics? No, that's a B2C play, not a B2B play. And that would be interesting. It's like gain sight for customers, but going deeper into the relationship of like their psychographic demographic data, and then selling that back to the CFO and saying, we're we're too far away from our customers. We can get more out. We could get them to spend more with us if we did these things hire competent people, which brings me to a discussion that we should have, but hire competent people so that we're more closely aligned with our audience. Right. Back to competence, you, we will see an increasing dialogue on hire the most competent person. In the coming weeks, months, years, as it leads up to affirmative action being reversed for work, you're going to hear, especially out of the conservative corners, you're going to hear a whole lot about competence. We just need to hire the most competent person. Just need to hire the most competent person. Does' it matter? You need to hire the most competent person. You just kind of hear the talk tracks that's going to happen. And they're not wrong, by the way. <laughs> like that, that argument, while we might not like it on some level, they're not wrong. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, I can't remember the SNL comic, but he's got a bit on an airline pilots and he's like, you know, DI makes sense up until you talk about airline pilots. Do I want my airline pilots to be the most diverse or do I just want them to land the plane and take the plane off and arrive on time and whether or not they're white and old or whatever, I don't care that argument. We don't like that argument. That argument, that argument with probably 50% of America holds weight. And they don't see it as racist. They right. see it as, why wouldn't you want a competent surgeon? Why wouldn't you want a competent attorney? Why wouldn't you want a competent, competent dentist, et cetera. And they're not wrong. We do like, I used to use this example to really piss people off. I'm like, yeah, everyone's liberal up to the point where you get jammed up with a felony and your lawyer's wearing flip-flops. Then you're not fucking liberal. Yeah. That's the moment you turn. I, I don't want a guy in flip-flops. I want the guy Harvard educated. I want a ruthless SOB to rip this thing to shreds and get me off.
0: So with all of that as background, I mean the 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 court rulings that you were talking about, the yeah. the politics of it, the societal feelings of it. How are those related to the downward trend of venture funding going into these companies?
1: I can tell you from what I see is the venture funds themselves to they're having a hard time raising money. So it's gotten tighter on them because they go around to family offices and other, other large funding agents and they get money from them. They're having difficulty proving the ROI of their last fund. Improving the ROI of of the investments that they have right now, their thesis. You know, all all VC's have a thesis in which they're all private equity firms. They come with a thesis, and they're having a hard time proving their thesis to be true because of the uncertainty in the market. I mean, not just COVID, but you know, like three different versions of COVID. COVID where you fired everyone. COVID where you hired everyone. COVID where you fired everyone. COVID where, you everyone, COVID where you're like, oh, we're done. Oh my God, things are going to be great. Oh shit, now they're not great. Like, no one can get their feel for what's actually going on with this economy. We say we're in a a recession, but we're not really in a recession when it relates to certain industries. Certain industries are booming. Like, you can't hire fast enough. You can't hire enough. And I think the VCs, where they've gotten conservative is their money has got conservative. So the money that they represent has gotten, and raising money, they've got conservative. And I would throw in the X factor, a chat GPT, and open AI. So when that became commercialized just a couple of months ago, I mean, a lot of people that study large language models have known about it a long time and all that other stuff, but when it became kind of mass marketed, I think a lot of the VCs hit pause on a lot of their deals and went, wait a minute. This is disruptive. This is like the internet. This is disruptive. I really like this telecom play that I'm about to put money into, but wait a minute. How will AI disrupt that telecom play? And I think all of them, probably not a bad idea, by the way, I think all of them hit the brakes. And so they look at, we have to be more conservative. Our money is more conservative. Oh, by the way, there's this new X factor that could be more, it's its more of a paradigm shift than the internet, which is hard to believe as we sit here and think. But you know what? I see on Instagram, I see AI models. I see AI models that walk, talk, eat, dance, like total AI, totally made up, right? Why do we need actors? Why do we need actresses? like why do we need tv commercial why do we need models like so if you can think about it from that perspective like it can disrupt anything if we point it that way and it does a good job and it learns what can it not disrupt so i think you know, to answer your question it'd be twofold the money got conservative got got scared which is what 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 happens generally when you have some type of economic you know, instability or whatever. But the other thing I think that we have to talk about is, is chat GPT and AI in general and how funding agents are looking at that and saying, oh shit, how is this changing our entire portfolio? How is this changing everything that we do? How is this changing the way that we invest? Like they're having a real true moment of. If the world made sense. The world was round, mostly blue, and made sense to people in the VC world prior to AI. With AI, does it make sense? And they're all trying to figure out how to make sense of this new world. And in doing so, they're not in a rush to put money into something. And unless, like Beamery, they have their own large language model that's talent. You, you, you wrote about it as well. Talent GP, GPT, where they've been doing it for two years, making their large language model focused on their customers. Speaking, recruiting, candidate, hiring manager, et cetera. Now, that's actually worth funding because they're ahead of the game. They're ahead of anybody that they would compete with because they're two years ahead. So, if I were writing checks, I'd write check, checks for that because yeah. they already got a heads you Now You can put them into growth mode, throw 30 million at it. And it's like they don't, all they need to do is go market it.
0: William, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for being here. Vice versa, brother. Thank you for having me. Today I've been talking with William Tincup, the president and editor-at-large of Recruiting Daily. And this has been People Tech, the podcast of the HCM Technology Report. We're a publication of Recruiting Daily. We're also a part of Evergreen Podcasts. To see all of their programs, visit www.evergreenpodcast.com. And to keep up with HR technology, visit the HCM Technology Report every day. We're the most trusted source of news in the HR tech industry find us at www.HCMTechnologyReport.com. I'm Mark Pfeffer.
1: Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah.